Podcasting, The Final Frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission to rehash geeky topics, to seek out new bastions of nerdiness, to timidly go where the more talented have gone before. Greetings, and welcome to the Hammer Podcast, the official podcast of thehammerstrikes.com. I'm your host, Gene Hendricks, and I owe you listeners both an apology and an explanation. The apology is because this episode was supposed to be released in September, and we are now nearing Thanksgiving, therefore we are over two months late. Now, the explanation for this is because Michelle, my wife, has gotten a job at the Amazon Fulfillment Center in our town. And she is currently working nights, which is perfect for us because that means we don't have to worry about who's watching Kira, uh, what happens during the day if she has a half day, etc. So what this means is that I have very limited podcasting time right now. She, Michelle is working four 10-hour days. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And because she works nights, that means even on Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, when she doesn't work, she still has to sleep during the day. So while she's asleep or at work, I have to be around for Kira, which means I can't be sitting in the office with the door closed and headphones on. Yes, she's eight. Yes, she's a very responsible child. But she's eight. And she's a child. (laughs) So I have to be there and available. So, obviously, I can't be podcasting all the time, and editing is even worse. Uh, editing, as many of you may know, typically takes three times the amount of recording time. So, if you're listening to a one-hour episode, you can be pretty sure that it took three hours to put together. So... I'm releasing this now. (laughs) It's basically when I was able to get around to it, when I was able to get free time, where either they were both out of the house, or when Michelle is sleeping and Kira's off with a friend, or last weekend Kira was camping, so I was able to cobble this together. Now, for the foreseeable future, this is how it's going to be. And I do have another episode beyond this one already recorded, and... I have an episode of the Quantum Cast that still needs to be edited, also has been recorded. So, I'm going to get to them when I can get to them. Which means I have no idea when they're going to be released. So, if you'll just be patient and bear with me, I will get them out. I And I have been making guest spots on other shows. For the simple fact is, I can schedule that for a Wednesday night or a Saturday night, and know that Michelle is around if Kira needs her. Even if Kira's asleep, I still don't like doing it if I'm the only one here, because that's the kind of parent I am. So, why don't we get on with this episode? I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do feedback this time, but, like I said, I have very limited time. I want to get this out the door. I will promise to try and tackle feedback at the beginning of the next episode, Whenever that's going to come out. So, let's take a quick break, play a few promos for people that I promised to play promos for, but it's long overdue, 
and then we'll get into the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everyone. Hello there. Do you like geeky stuff? Well, I hope so, as you're listening to a podcast about it. Tell me, do you feel as I do that the geek culture has gotten so polarizing that what you enjoy just isn't as much fun as it used to be? Are you tired of being called a fanatic or traitor for simply liking or disliking something? Do you wish that there could just be an in-between area where all geeks could hang out and talk about what we love and why we loved it in the first place? Do you wish that there could be a place on the internet that actually brings some positivity back to geekdom? Well, if you agree, then please check out Tangents Abound. Tangents Abound is a show that covers all aspects of geek culture, from comic books, movies, TV, video games, anime, everything and anything is on the table. Because this is a positive and passionate place where you can hear a total stranger talk about what he loves and why he loves it and maybe make a fool out of himself from time to time. <laughs> Come with me. It's time for us to return to the simpler days of geekdom. And maybe, just maybe, remember why we loved what we love in the first place. Tangents Abound can be found at Tangents Abound. .lipson.com or on iTunes. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, when Batman fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, three.
Welcome back. And this time, I have a returning guest, but not a returning guest to this show. This is a man who has been on both of the other Two True Freak shows that I host, but never on this one. So, let me welcome, for the first time, a co-host of the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, and a co-host of the brand new Weekly Heroic Show, Mr. Chris Tyler. How are you, sir? Um, I'm easy. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm well, Gene. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, doing good? Good. I'm glad to hear it. And uh, now, this being my September episode, you all may think that I'm going to be talking about Star Trek with Mr. Tyler. Well, that's where you would be wrong, because everybody's talking about Star Trek. I was on three different podcasts talking about Star Trek. That's okay. There's, there's not enough Star Trek podcasting. True, and I mean, hey, Siskoid just started a new one up over at Fire and Water. I, I listened. I look forward to more. Yes, that's going to be a fun one to listen to. But what we are going to talk about today, and this is in honor of the passing of a great man, Mr. Gene Wilder, who we lost just over two weeks ago as of this recording, we are going to talk about my favorite Mel Brooks movie, and that would be Young Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. Well, at the beginning it is, not the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is actually one of the movies that I saw when I was very young. <laughs> because my parents are great that way. Yeah. Also, my dad is one of those, like uh, Al Giaconetti, he is one that introduced my sister and I to classic monster movies. So when I first saw Young Frankenstein, I was already familiar with the Boris Karloff Frankenstein movies, so I appreciated what they were doing. Yeah. I didn't get all of the jokes. <laughs> Good. I should hope so. But it was still funny. <laughs> yeah. There's enough in it that um, if you're a kid, there's plenty of stuff that you're going to laugh at, and if you're an adult, there's even more stuff you're going to laugh at. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's odd. It, this and the producers, I would say, are probably my two high-level Mel Brooks movies, which are the two that have the least amount of Mel Brooks in them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's, it, if I had to pick my top two, it probably is going to end up being Blazing Saddles and uh, History of the World, but that's me. Right. Uh, it, I mean, to each his own. But yeah. you notice that we both mentioned Gene Wilder movies as mm -hmm. the top ones. So oh, yeah. You just, you just can't beat it. And he only ever did three movies with Brooks. And they, two of them were in the exact same year, and I believe were the first and third highest grossing movies of that year. I can understand why. Yes, because they were brilliant. And, I mean, this, this is a movie that I could probably recite from memory, <laughs> just because I've seen it so much. In fact, this is a, this is a movie that will get quoted at some point anytime members of my family are together. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the occasion is it could be christmas could be a summer barbecue or grilling i'm sorry scott rifen grilling but it, it at some like my dad will just bust out at some point it's i ain't got no pie <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the line that 
the line that always stuck with me, and I saw this way too young too, and unfortunately I did get a lot of the dirty jokes, <laughs> was the, uh, he'd have to have an enormous Schwanstucker. Yes. And while deadpan delivery of, well, that goes without saying. <laughs> and that is always, when somebody says something that's so obvious to me now, that's my go-to response is, it goes without saying. <laughs> Dry Gene Wilder fashion. Yes. Oh, and I I have to point this out, and most most people don't know this because I don't take my shirt off that much for obvious <laughs> reasons. But I actually have a benign fatty tumor on my back, just below my my neck on so the left hump. side. I have a hump. Now it has gotten smaller as I as I've lost weight, but it's still there. Did it switch sides though? It does. It does not. But every now and again. My dad will ask me how it is, and I'll just look at him and say, what hump? <laughs> or, if we're, or if we're dressed up, he'll he'll do something like that, and I'll say, oh, never with tails. <laughs> uh, if, if Gene Wilder is the straight man in this movie, and ostensibly he is, uh, you can't take your eyes, no pun intended, off of Marty Feldman in this no, movie. He is brilliant. This He is just so over the top in this movie. That it is amazing. <laughs> and he's really the only one that's cartoony to the point of it just not seeming right with everybody else. Yeah, even Cloris Leachman is pretty much playing it straight. Yeah, it almost everybody is. It's The first time I watched this, um, I don't know if I had seen the original Universal Frankenstein series. And as a kid, the fir- very first time I watched it, it's really... Not that funny up until you get to a certain point. It's so dry. Mm. And it's the care that went into the production of making this look like it had come out of 1938 Universal Backlot is astounding. And if you, it, honestly, if you turned the volume down on this and you played it as a silent movie with just title cards, you might not know it's a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so little slapstick. It. it is a little, but it's yeah. not to the point where it's, um, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the Wilder, you know, we, we all, all must act normally and his collar pops open. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. That's, well, it's, it's vaudeville stuff. A lot of the gags are still vaudeville style gags. And I mean, that's just where Brooks is coming from. And it, it, and it works for this. Oh, it does. It does. But I mean, it's, it's, I almost consider this to be like a live action Looney Tunes. Because there's enough in it for kids to laugh at. Like the, um, when he stabs himself in the leg with a scalpel and then just looks at it. Or, you know. Slyly covers it up with his other leg. (laughs) Yes. Or, uh, the monster getting the, the bowl full of soup in the lap. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, those are, it's the easiest jokes. Yes. But, I mean, so, when I was a kid, I I would bust out laughing at that, and then when I go older, you know, it's like, elevate me. What? Right here? Yeah. <laughs> then I started getting those, just like in Looney Tunes, where you start getting things like, the, the best example I can give is the Bugs Bunny cartoon with the penguin. The South Pole? Ooh, I'm dying! Where he runs across Humphrey Bogart. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And Humphrey Bogart's doing the, the bit from Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah. But at one point, they're on an island, and Bugs is, you know, singing, like, a, a Jamaican-style song. I didn't realize until recently, that's a takeoff of a Humphrey Bogart radio show. 
Okay. That's yeah, that's way over my head. Yeah. Well, I I listen to old time radio all the time. I mean, it's uh, if I'm not listening to a podcast, I'm listening to like radio classics on Sirius, and it's. Yeah, uh, Bold Venture was the name of it. It was uh, Bogart and Bacall, and they owned a hotel in Cuba. And one of the bits was there was some guy in the lobby that was singing just like Bugs Bunny singing in that cartoon. Okay. So if you get – it's funny because it's Bugs Bunny singing like a, a Caribbean song, but it's even funnier when you get the reference. So yeah. that, that's exactly what this movie is. It's funny – on, like, five different layers. Yeah. And someone like yourself or, like, me, who loves the old Universal movies, it's just, it is glorious. It's down to, they have the original lab equipment. Yeah, they have the strict Fadden props. It's, uh, it's, it's great. Yes. And I'm so glad that Brooks managed to keep it in black and white. Yes, it's it really does feel of a piece of what it, what it's supposed to be aping, more so than probably any of the other satires and parodies that he's done. You really, I mean, if you if you chopped the credits off of that or didn't show the date, and you showed somebody from 1938, 39, they would probably have no clue that yeah. it was a modern film. Yeah, really. And, and I'm saying modern film. It's 42 years old now. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I feel old. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah, but it it's it's such a a great piece. And when you watch Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Son of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, Frankenstein's Daughter, and then this, it it slots right in. Yeah, so it absolutely well. could. Well, I mean, they even mentioned it. This has happened five times before. Yeah. You know, it's they're making no bones about it. It's. Yeah, but just, I mean, all the characterizations in it are just spot on. Wilder, like you said, is the straight man to the point where even when he's being funny, it's just manic Gene Wilder. It's yeah. He's not being a comedian about it. It's just he, he goes from pure, calm, and rational to over the top, you know, get, get me out of here, I'll kick your rotten heads in! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're telling me that I put an abnormal brain in a seven foot two, fifty four inch gorilla? <laughs> is that what you're telling me? Uh, yeah. The the sedative bit is another one that we. Uh, it's it's. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just that. It's it takes a long time to get there, and we as the audience know where it's going. But it's still funny. <laughs> And then they started all over again yeah, when Igor doing comedy. Uh, oh, and the whole Igor Froderick bit. Yes, it's just you're putting me on. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a a brilliant movie, and the cast is is excellent. You, I mean, yeah. th- this is probably the first movie I saw Terry Gar in. I think it was the first movie anybody saw Terry yeah. Gar in. Well, but, I mean, she had been in other films after this that I hadn't seen. Yeah. And, but I didn't know her from Laughing. So that, that must have been interesting going from Laughing to, to this because Laughing was more over the top. Yeah. Stuff. Well, and, she's, and she's over the top in a way too. And it's, uh, well, yeah, to, to a degree, it's, um, almost the blonde bimbo. Part, but it's not quite that. I mean, there's she's 
she's not really exuding any any sort of overt sexuality. It's a kind of a naive sexuality. Yeah, it's a she does not pick up on references. No. Which is, you know, it it's it's almost like she's the I think she was supposed to be this country girl brought into all this and she didn't she didn't understand what was going on. Uh like the the roll in the hay bit. Yeah. She literally <laughs> means rolling in the hay. Yeah, I mean it's you know, you, I wonder if Rose Nyland from uh <laughs> Golden Girls was drawn from from this in any sort of way. Oh wow, that I hadn't even made that connection. Yeah, but she's so literal. Yeah, because I mean, even the Schwanstucker bit—that's I mean, if you watch the Golden Girls, occasionally Rose would drop a line like that that would be the filthiest thing ever, and it would be completely just out of left field, and she'd say it like it was nothing. Right, and everyone else would react to it like, "Wait, yeah, that came out of your mouth." Yeah, and I mean. Madeline Kahn's brilliant in whatever she's in. I yeah, I absolutely adore Madeline Kahn. Uh, anytime that I see her, and especially if she's working with Mel Brooks. Oh yes, every every single movie she's in that's a Mel Brooks movie, she is perfect. But this, as the the put upon almost fiance, yeah, it, it's it's funny in that she's actually more repressed than anybody else. Until you get to the, you know, we'll, we'll call a spade a spade, to the rape scene. Uh, she could have ran away. I, I don't know. Well, once, once, the, the, once the creature drops his drawers, she's not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically he's about to rape her until she sees what's going on, and it's like, maybe I'll go along with this yeah. <laughs> seven or eight times. Yeah. All you men are the same. Seven or eight quick ones and you're off with the boys. <laughs> but right after that, she just goes completely over the top with it. To yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. And Peter Boyle. I mean, I I didn't see him in anything else until Everybody, Everybody Loves, Loves Raymond. Yeah. And it, he's he's great as the creature. And then when the brain transfer comes in... He's so eloquent. Yeah. And it, I mean, you, unfortunately, you couldn't have that with Karloff just because he had the lisp. So it probably wouldn't have worked quite as well. Is But Boyle just came out with this, you know, yeah. like almost Shakespearean style speech. Put that man down. Yeah. Oh, well, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, and you know what the other thing is, is, um, the design for the, I love the design for the creature in this as well. Um, it's it it really doesn't take any cues from any of the other Franken other than the big boots in the you know the the graver's coat. Right. Um, he's got the zipper on the neck, which I think is hilarious. Uh, but the scene where he's in the chains, sitting down, and everybody's yelling at him after he's been captured. Mm. If you look at his face in that scene. Watch rewatching it again, it clicked on me that if they had played this completely straight and the makeup was a little bit better, he easily could have pulled off the you know, the full pathos in you know, uh formed version of the creature. I don't think he would have had any difficulty doing that performance. Now he may he does the funny stuff exceedingly well too. Hmm. But that scene where he's chained up, I mean if you put Kalov's face on that scene, you'd you know, it would be the same thing. Yeah, it, it... That scene reminds me a lot in 
the look, the, the way he's holding himself and everything, as in the first Frankenstein, when Karloff comes in and he sits in the chair, and he's just sitting there, like, what's going on? Because yeah. he's the brain isn't quite hooked up correctly yet. You know, in, in Bride, he's actually verbal. He's you know, er, yeah. the the neurons are actually firing, but he's he's more of like a, a toddler in the first one. And you get you kind of see that here where Boyle does it is like I would what I do. You know, why am I in trouble? Yeah, and it's it's great. And then you just have the the over the top idiot with the uh, the match. You know, yeah. <laughs> the old boy should be afraid of fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you went to that well once too often, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, what else is I gonna? Oh, I just had another thought to it. The subversion of expectations. Um. Clearly, uh, James Whale's Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein were a huge influence on Mel Brooks at some point. Oh yeah. Uh. Or, you know, or Gene Wilder, because the two of them wrote the script. They take all of the best bits of those two movies and completely turn it on its head. The little girl with the flowers yes, so doesn't end up the way you think it is, and it's played for a straight gag. Um, the same with the blind man, played by Gene Hackman. Who, the, who, Hackman asked to be in the movie. Which is unbelievable to me. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because that means that he really he was into it. You know, He really yeah. wanted to be there. He wasn't just stunt casting. Because, I mean, really... Un- Unless you're familiar with Gene uh, Gene Hackman, you can't tell it's him. No, you really can't. You'd have to close your eyes and really listen. Yeah, and, but he he just is brilliant because again he's playing it straight and Boyle's expressions in that, especially when they they toast and the glass breaks. He, <laughs> just, he's, he's he a, just he just looks like why the shrug. <laughs> oh, I know it's a, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and the delayed reaction with the cigar. He's just like, yeah, my thumb's yeah. on fire. My thumb's on fire! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's that's a great scene, too. It's Everything about it is really... It's so hard to find a flaw with this one. I don't think I really can. It, it, with a comedy, I'm not going to be looking for flaws anyway. Um, I don't know what else I can say about it. Uh, lead me in another direction here, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Uh, I what what I liked about the beginning of the movie is the the scene in, with the coffin with uh yeah, Baron a, Frankenstein because straight it, horror scene straight horror scene especially when the skeleton pulls the thing back as <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just uh. <laughs> but but even that's that it ties directly in because this this is your great grandfather the Baron yeah because, and uh. The, the only difference, really, is they call the grandfather Victor, when in the original Frankenstein it was Henry. Well, so, in the Universal, was he Henry or was he Victor? No, in the, in, uh, in the Universal Colin Clive. Colin Clive was Henry Frankenstein. Okay. I don't, I don't know why they changed it, but I'm wondering if... I, I have not watched Son and Ghost recently. Um... Son is Wolfgang, I think. Yeah, but what I mean is, does he refer to his father as Henry or as, as Victor, or not at all? Oh, I can't remember. Because that's it's been a long that's time. Basil Rathbone, right? Yeah, Basil Rathbone is in the third one, and I can't remember who it is in um, Curse or Ghost. Wait. Yeah, Ghost. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. 
Curse of, of Frank. Son of Frankenstein, Curse of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein. No, Ghost of Frankenstein. Curse of Frankenstein's a hammer. Oh my god, I'm kidding. That's terrible. We just covered that on the vault. Um, that's why it's in your head. Yeah, but I can't remember who it is that's after, um, Basil Rathbone. All, all I know in Ghost is that Bell Lugosi's in it. And that's the transference thing. That's, I, that comes from one of the later sequels as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brain transference. So it's, I mean, they went deep. They clearly, <laughs> the two of them loved the Frankenstein movies. Yes. Cause you get everything here. And it, it just, what, was it, uh, Luke that keeps bringing up that if you strip away all the comedy parts of it and does it still work in the genre? Yes. This certainly does. This, if this was not a comedy, it would, be, it would fit right in as a sixth installment of the Universal Frankenstein. Yeah, the same with um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. It's the same thing. Right. Um, it, the, you know, they keep the the trappings the same, and there's just the, some bits that are played for last. But like like you and uh, Luke say, it's if you excise those, it, it's a straight horror movie in the you know the atmospheric Universal style. Yes. I mean, really, the only thing this movie is missing is the Universal globe logo at the beginning instead of the fox logo yeah uh, it's a shame that they couldn't go to universal to get it done I mean, yeah ju- just for that if nothing else you know and even get the one from the 30s and 40s to put in there rather than the 70s was was now was brooks contracted by fox or do you think it was just universal saying we don't want to kind of pee in our cereal no it was that. fox was actually the second studio he went to Okay. I'm trying to remember the first one. Uh, I can't remember. I just read something on it today, too. Uh, but it wasn't Universal. I don't think he, he had gone to Universal at all. But, okay. yeah, it, it. I don't think he was under contract anywhere because, yeah, remember, at, when he was making this, Blazing Saddles wasn't a hit yet. So he was still working off of the producers and the 12 chairs as this is what I've done. So no one was really anxious to give Mel Brooks another movie. Okay. So I think he shopped it around a, a little ways, and Fox is the one, they're the ones that actually bit for it. All right. Well, at least it got made. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm so glad it got made. And although, did, did you know that Mel Brooks does appear in this movie? Oh, boy. I'm trying to think of who he might have been. You want me to tell you, or you want to guess? I, I, give me, give me a couple seconds. I want to try to okay. think of who. Who he might have been. Oh he, man, he appears. Gonna... In, he appears in this movie just like he does in the producers. <sighs> I have no clue. He's the werewolf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just audio then, huh? Just audio. Well, it's just okay. like you know, in the producers, he he's the voiceover. Don't be stupid. Be a smarty. Come and join the Nazi party. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Um. <laughs> there, wolf. There, castle. <laughs> And that, I believe, was an ad lib. I'm surprised this movie's not full of ad libs. Well, I think part of it was Gene Wilder couldn't keep a straight face. (laughs) From from the the behind-the-scenes stuff that I've watched, pretty much every single take that he and Marty Feldman were in, Wilder would crack up. How could you not? It took, like... 15, 16 takes to actually get something usable. But yeah, I mean, Marty Feldman, you're anywhere near him, and you're just going to die laughing. Yeah. Uh, did you see the one interview 
that Mel Brooks had uh, like a couple days after uh, Gene Wilder died on Jimmy Fallon. I did not. I will probably track that down after we finish recording. It, it is really good. But he says in that, he, he said, uh, listen, if you want to go somewhere where Marty can't see you, just go up, touch your forehead to his right in front of his nose. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really think, you know, it, Wilder was terrific in the movie, and he had to be the straight man. But Feldman, every bit that he does, yeah. it's, I mean, he's, he's just so over the top. And especially, you know, when they flip the switch for the first time, dim your eyes! Too late. <laughs> Damn your eyes, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that it, it's, and it does that other thing that usually would annoy me watching a comedy. It's let's make the joke, and here I'm pointing at the fact that I've made the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it works so well for this. Well, it's because they don't linger on it. It's like, hey, see, weird eyes. Next, yeah. <laughs> they don't they don't stay on it so long. They just, they move right on to the next thing, and it it's like you said in the beginning. It's it's fairly slow. But even the things like you have the exact same conversation between the married couple in English yeah. and in German. Yep. And it's one of those things where you don't know what's happening until you, you know, it's, well, let him, let him. Yeah. Because that sounds the same in German. Yeah. Pardon me, boy. Is this Transylvania Station? <laughs> yes, sir. Track 29. <laughs> Want to shine? <laughs> uh, it... And that I only knew because we used to sing uh, Chattanooga Choo Choo in music class in elementary school. (laughs) Oh, man, I haven't even thought of that song in forever. Yeah. But, again, it's going deep. And it's it's just a throwaway bit in there that, you know, it's... But from what I understand, there were a lot of things that they tossed out of the movie when they were testing it. Like, uh, there were certain jokes and and whatnot that... um, just didn't work, so they got rid of them, and hmm. that, that's that's really good to know that they didn't force it. I mean, there's there's some more recent Mel Brooks movies where he did force it, and it didn't work. Well, I, mean, I think his last movie was Dracula Dead and Loving It, wasn't it? And that's what I'm talking about. Uh, which is it? I uh, let's not talk about that. One. No, um, no, no. We we have a much superior movie to talk about. Yes, but like. Uh, from what I understand, there was a bit where uh, the the last will and testament of the Baron was on a record. So they played the record, and it started to skip and kept saying, up yours, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I would have left that in. Yeah, but apparently it didn't test very well, so they All took right. it out. So, And I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. I am... I'm glad that they went through the the time and the effort to s- make sure that it all worked really well because this is top notch movie and part of that is because Brooks was forced to stay behind the camera. Now, what part of the the agreement that Wilder had with him is says, "Hey, if we're going to do this, you have to direct it. You cannot be in it." Mm. Which forced, in my opinion, Brooks to do his best directorial work ever. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's um, because it does straddle that line between being a, a serious gothic horror movie and a comedy. It does, yeah, I can, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say it's his funniest movie, but it, it probably is the best made movie mm-hmm. that he's done overall. Right. I, yeah, uh, I, I agree. It's not the funniest, but it is the best as far as filmmaking goes. Yeah. And uh, Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles is close. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's also telling that it also has a musical number in it. I mean, it's just, that's just part of what he does, you know? Yeah. And, um, that, that, that's, I mean, that's the scene where, <laughs> how can you not laugh? <laughs> Put on the rinse! Uh, <laughs> I think everybody knows that bit. Yeah. And they know it because it's hilarious. I would not have known that song if it wasn't for that movie. Oh, you grew up in the 80s like me. You you know you heard Taco's version of putting on the Ritz. Come on. Every now and again, but I wouldn't have paid attention to it. You know, That's I would true. have heard it as like, eh, whatever. Now I, I hear it and I just hear Gene Wilder and Pierre Boyle singing it. Yeah. But that, I mean, that was brilliant because you think it's going to be this stuffy scientific presentation and then all of a sudden they're in top hat and tails and dancing. Yeah, culture and sophistication. <laughs> Men about town. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's so much to love about this film. Yeah, it's it's hard to really. I, I could if you if you like Mel Brooks's movies, you're gonna like the movie. Uh, there are people that don't find his brand of humor funny. I think that they're soulless and joyless, and I don't want to be associated with them. Uh, but that's me. Um, I guess if you're a, maybe a real diehard fan of the Universal Horror movies, and you see that they kind of maybe taking the Mickey out of, I could. Some people just can't. They don't like satire and parody. Again, I'm, I don't really want to associate with those people, and I find them soulless and joyless. Uh, but. I certainly enjoy it, and uh, that's why I'm talking to you about it now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the same type of humor you get in Mystery Science Theater. You know, there there are occasions where MST or riff tracks, depending on on what your what era you're talking about, yeah, they will either rip the film to shreds, and deservedly so in most cases, or they'll just make fun of the situations in the film. So, like uh, Jason. And Al, Jack, and A just talked about something uh, on a recent episode of uh, Bugs, Bots, and Babes, and that was uh, Black Scorpion, which I have only seen the Mystery Science Theater version of. (laughs) But in that, they're they're not making fun of the movie so much as they're just having a good time with the situation in the movie. They're not saying, hey, this is horrible. Why are we watching this? They're just saying, wow, you know, why why did that kid think it was a good idea to stow away down here you know yeah. just the the ridiculousness that you would see on your own it's the same thing here is yeah you know, t- yeah this guy sewed up dead body parts and made a living creature that, that's on its face that is ridiculous they're having fun with it here and they're not it's it's partly an homage to it partly a satire and it works on all levels. And as as a lover of the classic monster movies, also of the more recent, you know, like uh, Toho kind of tokusatsu movies. Yeah. And Luke will be happy that I can pronounce that. 
<laughs> yeah, it's there. There's an inherent silliness in the movie. You yeah. put that aside when you're watching, it, just because you're there to enjoy that film. This it just grabs the silliness and say, "Hey, look at this." <laughs> yeah, I mean. The most ridiculous stuff happened. I mean, you know, the bit with the the horses every time you say Bluka, and then not content to let it rest anytime her name is said, it happens. And of course, Marty Feldman going back out for that one more time opens the door back up and says Bluka one more time, just because you know it's going to be funny. <laughs> and um, the grin on his face when yeah, he does it. Yeah, just so pleased about making himself laugh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, when when um, Elizabeth, when Madeline Kahn shows up at Castle Frankenstein, and he's all over her, and she doesn't seem too put off by him, <laughs> you know, just blatantly flirting with her. Yeah. Uh, just completely ridiculous, and he's having a great time playing it. <laughs> and that scene is where I see her kind of start to break. You can tell she's trying not to die laughing. Yes. <laughs> you take the blonde, I'll take the one in the turban. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Marty Feldman doing Groucho Marx. You can't beat that. That's pretty much what it is, and it's genius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, it's... And it's one of those movies that, if it's on, I'm watching it. Yeah, you gotta watch at least a little bit of it. Yeah, if I come across it, and it's... And I'm not supposed to be doing something else, (laughs) I will leave it on. Uh... It, it's just such a, a brilliant film, and I encourage anyone out there that hasn't seen anything, I'm pretty sure a lot of it's on YouTube, uh, look for the behind-the-scenes stuff, the, the outtakes more than anything else, because you see just how hard it is to make a comedy like this, when it is so friggin' hilarious that the actors can't keep it together. Yeah, comedy and horror are the two hardest to do, um, from what I hear from other filmmakers. Um, So if you can do both of them in one movie, you must be pretty good at it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, really. But, I mean, it helps that you have the the level of writing that you had between Brooks and Wilder, and just the the level of the cast. I mean, there's um, probably the most underappreciated uh, character in this, in in my opinion, is Inspector Kemp, <laughs> because he is he is so dour about everything. But the man is patently ridiculous. Yeah, he's can't... got a he's got a monocle over an eye patch. Uh, yeah, it's so great. And the wooden arm that keeps shifting, which one it is? Oh, I never even noticed that. Yeah, it's um, it's I think it's usually his right arm. But okay. in at least one scene, it's his left arm. All right. Oh, gee, I, you know, I never even picked up on that. Yeah, I, I think it's the uh, the scene where they're all, uh, where the riot has begun and yeah. they're going to the castle. I think he's, he flips his left arm up like it's the wooden arm. Okay. You see, that tells you how much I got. I get sucked into the movie. Didn't even notice it. Yeah. Well, I, I have a tendency anymore if I've seen a movie a, a lot, and we did this this past Sunday when we went to see Labyrinth in the theater. So jealous. And I look at the background. I look at all the stuff around what's going on, because I, I know what's in the foreground. I know what's yeah. happening there. I look at... Yeah, David the, Bowie's package. Well, that was what Michelle was looking at. <laughs> 
So you were checking out all the uh, Froud-inspired uh, goblins in the background, then. Right, yeah, and what are they doing? So, like, in, in the throne room, okay, you see the ones that are singing right in front of you. Well, what's this guy doing back here? Well, one of them is trying to net a pigeon. Yeah. And actually does it at one point. <laughs> yeah, the, the the stuff on display in that is great, but we're not covering that. No, but it's the same thing here, is I've seen it so much that I look and see what's going on in the background. You know, like in the uh, the 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 town meeting scene, I'm looking at the peasants, and you know, okay, what are they doing? And it's it's nothing, you know, like there's none of them are playing gin rummy or anything, but they everyone's acting. You know, so they're not just sitting there taking up space; they're actually doing something. Yeah. And but that's how I notice these things, like the arm switch and whatnot. I'm because I'm looking for all that trivia. Because I'm annoying that way. Yeah, I just try to look down Madeline Kahn's shirt because I'm madly in love with Madeline Kahn. <laughs> I always have been. Yes. Since I first saw Blazing Saddles. Can't imagine why. <sighs> well, you know, she's tired. So tired. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> we'll cover Blazing Saddles yes. another time. Another time, yes. Yeah, another one I we need to talk about is uh, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' Younger Brother. Yes. Smarter Brother, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Because I, I saw that, and I'm I'm going to tangent us again. I, I know you're finding this unexpected. It's a Two True Freaks production. <laughs> but it's... I am a huge fan of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, to the point where I, I can tell you uh, which Watson is better, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I love all those. I've read a good portion of the original stories. My my parents actually have a 10 or 12 volume set of Sherlock Holmes. All the stories. And yeah, my favorite, both in novel form and in the the Jeremy Brett version. Not so no not so fond of the Basil Rathbone version, but the Jeremy Brett version is the Hound of the Baskervilles. Yeah, that one's pretty great. So I'm watching, you know, I love all that stuff. Then I see this movie about his smarter brother. Well, that I gotta see, and I also love Rumpole of the Bailey, which yeah, is I... that's a, it's a British TV series about a uh, Rumpole is a defense attorney, and he takes on these kind of hard luck cases, but it's a comedy, and it's. Uh, played by Leo McKern, who is Moriarty in the Sherlock Holmes Smarter Brother. Okay. So I see that. I see Gene Wilder, Madeline Kahn, and Marty Feldman going just completely bananas, especially when they start doing the dance number. <laughs> now, and it's, it's, it's brilliant. So, But again, Madeline Kahn is just terrific because yeah. she's terrific in everything. And she's a... Uh, pathological liar in that, which is even oh, better. Excellent. But back to Young Frankenstein. Uh, the amount of dirty jokes in this movie, I was surprised when I finally got them all. There's <laughs> quite a few. Yes, there are. The, the number of penis jokes in the movie. Uh, the Schwanstuck Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the monster got part of your wonderful brain. What did you get from him? Uh, the end. The end of the movie is <laughs> is is a, is a dick joke. Yes, and that's okay. What better way to go out? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Igor playing the uh, 
French horn or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's, I can't think of this movie and not have a smile on my face. No, it's tough to do so because, I mean, regardless of what part of it you think of, you're going to laugh. Science teaches us to accept our failures as well as our successes with quiet <laughs> dignity. You bastard! Do you know what you've done to me? And you can see it coming a mile away. Yeah. It's so funny. I don't want to live. Quite dignity. Quite dignity. <laughs> Put the candle back. Oh, man, that is another one. I will, I will say that at just about anything that has gone wrong. <laughs> now, we, something, you know, something happens, like the dog knocks something over and says, put the candle back. <laughs> because there's nothing I can do about it, so why why not laugh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I think we've been going around in circles for a while here. Yeah, I, well, just like that revolving door, but it's... it's... <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with comedies. If you're going to talk about a comedy after you discuss the technical filmmaking of it, if there's more to it than just being, we're going to put the jokes on the screen, then all you do is end up reciting the best bits and talking about them. Very true. Very true. Well, I'll just say this. If you haven't seen Young Frankenstein, why the hell are you listening to this podcast, first of all? Yeah. But go out and see it. Watch the original in Bride, and you'll get even more out of it. Oh, yeah. If you have seen Young Frankenstein, watch it again. Truer words have never been spoken. In fact, I'll be going in uh, three weeks. Because you're going to, you hate me again, I know, but I, the theater around here is showing the live version, the live broadcast with the intro by Mel Brooks on October 5th. Yeah, lucky, lucky you. Well, if you want to make the trek down, you can come with us. I'm sure it's playing around me too, I just. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's another movie in my budget until uh, Rogue One, so... Yeah, I I know. I mean, I just spent way, way too much on Sunday because I am of the opinion, and I I know that the theater does hardly makes any money off of the box office itself. Yeah. Okay? So whenever we go to the theater, we go and get concessions. Okay. So I have to support the theater in some way. So I, between the tickets... And the concessions, I spent way too friggin' much <laughs> at the movie theater. But when else am I going to see Labyrinth on the big screen? When else am I going to see Young Frankenstein on the big screen? You know? And then later in October, Michelle is going to go and see The Shining. Because Kira can't see it. <laughs> okay. She's eight. I'm not going to do that to her. And... Why not? Danny's a good role model. <laughs> well, see, there something happened. When Michelle was little, Shining was on TV. Okay. She said, oh, I'd like to watch this. And her parents said, okay, but you're going to watch all of it. Oh. When she started to get scared, they would not let her leave. Okay. So, <clears throat> I will not put my daughter through that. I am willing to let her sit. Like, yesterday we watched Jaws 2. Okay. For the, the show that you listeners will hear next month. And she has seen the original Jaws. Mm-hmm. Remember, eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. So she, I put that in. The, the title comes up. She says, oh, is this better than the first one? Oh, oh at which sweet point, child. At which point I said, 
no, it's different. Fair she enough. Stayed, she stayed for about the first half hour, got bored with it, and said, I'm going to go play in my room. Kind of the way I feel about trust. <laughs> <laughs> but I give her the opportunity to watch these things. Like yeah. the other day, <clears throat> last week, the the one uh, broadcast channel, Comet, had a Godzilla movie marathon. Delightful. Including King of the Monsters. Mm. And for some odd reason, Rodan. Why, why not? Toho. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, she watched it and, uh, I have a weird kid. <laughs> she, who constantly reminds me of the fact that she's a weird kid. In fact, I got a, uh, anniversary card. We got an anniversary card from her this summer that said, happy anniversary from your weird kid and had a, picture, a, a goat on it. <laughs> <laughs> With a googly eyes. I, I guess I fall into the weird kid category, too, because yeah. every year for Mother's Day, I give my mother a card. Uh, well, background for this joke, uh, I'm adopted, so every year I give her a card that says, Hey, Mom, thanks for stopping off at, at the baby pound. <laughs> <laughs> but, so we're watching Rodan, and they're blowing up the volcano, burying the two Rodans. Yeah. Well, she's laughing. She is having a giggle <laughs> okay. Because she had seen, we had, our pantry is down in our basement, and I, I have a tendency, when things are on sale, extremely cheap, I will buy them, and they'll go in the pantry, and they'll stay there. Well, she saw a, uh, package of Duncan Hines chocolate cake mix. So, for the rest of the day, she mentally had a picture of exploding chocolate cake. Okay. This is the same kid who will have a, uh, snake eyes in one hand and a My Little Pony in the other, and they'll be playing in the Hall of Justice, so. That's okay. Fertile imagination. <laughs> so, when the the model of the volcano's crumbling down, I have to admit, it looks like chocolate cake. Mm. So she's there dying laughing. <laughs> because she's seeing exploding chocolate cake on TV. So so when Luke messaged me later, oh, did your daughter get scared or upset at the end of Rodan? I said, no, she had a giggle fit. <laughs> but she's my kid, so. All right. <laughs> anyway, that is so far away from Young Frankenstein, I think we'll call it a, call it there. So right. uh, thank you very much for being on. This, this, was, this was a fun conversation. Yeah, I'm happy to be on whenever you'd like. So um, just give me a ring. Yeah, well, I will. Uh, but in the meantime, how about you let everyone know where they can find you? Oh, God, why would anybody want to find me? Uh, okay, I'm all over the Two True Freaks Network. I host co-host the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, long title, with Chris Honeywell, Luke Giaconetti, and his brother Jay Giaconetti. I am working on Weekly Heroics with Scott 2.0, Scott McGregor, where we're covering the um, superhero shows that are on television. Um, it's going to take us a while to get caught up to current, but, uh, that's kind of the fun. Uh, so it's kind of an index show. Uh, what else am I on? Um, I pop up all over the place. I guessed on anything. Um, when Michael Bailey and Professor Allen aren't around, I'm the number one guest host who gets a call. So, <laughs> um, yeah. There that, you go. Well, it's good. You have Mike will travel. Oh, one more show. I'm doing, uh, Cast Protection, which is a limited series, uh, show about the Netflix limited series. Stranger Things, with Jonathan Kreitz and Dave Atterbury. And I will let you know one thing about Stranger Things. Okay. I have not watched it. I will not say anything, then. 
However, I listen to Cast Protection. Okay. Um, no. I would stop now. Watch the show so you don't get spoiled on too much. It's It'll be worth it. I'm not going to end up watching the show anytime soon. Fair enough. Just so you know. Okay. But then listen away. I, I'm enjoying the conversations. Because you guys, I, I feel like if I watched the show, I would be getting so much more out of it. But just listening to you guys talk about it, and it's like, they had He-Man on the TV! And, you know, all, all the, the lovely Easter eggs you're finding. Yeah, anything that comes to mind um, that's a reference or a callback or a bit of 80s nostalgia, we, uh, we definitely talk about it. Um, you get three guys of roughly the same age <laughs> talking about a show that is about when we were not quite as old as the kids in the show, but, you know, of a vintage. Um, there's a lot for us to talk about. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's fun to listen to, and, you know, I would, Thank you. I, I would say to you, dear listener, check out Cast Protection, The Vault, and uh, Weekly Heroics. They're all great shows. Plus, anytime you see uh, Mr. Tyler's name pop up in a show notes away, on Facebook... be afraid! <laughs> he always makes it fun. And Thank you, you. you should actually be hearing the two of us show up on a Back to the Bins episode in the near future. Yes, it'll be a good one. Yes, I, I think, well, it'll, it'll be good for two-thirds of it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Don't blame me, I picked a crummy book. <laughs> you had a crummy book thrust upon you, I think. Some men have crummy books, some men have crummy books thrust upon them, I am that man. <laughs> well, thank you again for being on. I, I had a great time, and we will definitely do this again soon. Excellent. All right, and we'll see you next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Hammer Podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send an email to gene at thehammerstrikes.com. If you like what you've heard, please visit the Patreon page, which is located at patreon.com slash thehammerstrikes, and consider becoming a sponsor of the show. Please be sure to check out the Hammer Strikes on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and YouTube. The Hammer Podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.